You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 137 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. We are coming to you on August 28th. I'm Vince, along with Roger. Have you heard the fantastic news? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> you will soon have yet another superhero team to be incredibly proud of. A Canadian team? DC has announced that after Villains Month... The Justice League of America will be retitled and relaunched as Justice League Canada. <laughs> when? <laughs> okay, why? Because you know that really terrible comic we weren't already reading? Yes. I guess they try and want to get some other people to read it. What, Canadians? <laughs> By virtue of the fact that you put in Canada in the title doesn't mean we're going to read it. I wonder if they're going to do the variant covers with all the, the various uh, provinces. <laughs> My God. No, seriously, though, why are they doing this? I No I, idea? I don't care. I just thought it was funny. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, got to give them that. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> Although they did say they kind of took a bit of a shot at, like, Alpha Flight and stuff. Like, it's not going to be a bunch of, like, Canadian stereotypes. <laughs> like, it's going to be several members of the existing roster, and they're bringing in some apparently new characters for the, for the team. Oh. Let's see what comes out of it. <laughs> for yeah. the most part... The, the the thing is, and and I, I listen. I got tons of pride for for my country, same as you guys do for yours. You know, we've talked about that before. Tons. The thing is, though, when you're looking at settings for comic books, the, the, where you put them is insanely important. Uh, like the stuff that we've been seeing with the the X Men in in San Francisco, as well as in Manchester, and the, all the stuff in New York, and all that. Settings are important, and the setting becomes. Um, a, a, a huge plot device in certain cases as well. And then the city takes on a life of its own kind of thing, which is what you want. There's not a lot of exciting cities in Canada. <laughs> okay. They're just is. And I'm good with that. I'm right. Like hell I'm in the freaking capital and this is a pretty sleepy city. There's enough people here and there's a lot of diversity in terms of all manner of cultural backgrounds, which we love. And there's food from everywhere. It's great. But to say that this city is exciting, no, not even freaking remotely close. Toronto, a little bit more so because it is a, a major city. But again, it doesn't have the same feel as a New York or a San Francisco or an L.A. And, you know, there's other places if they wanted to make something international. There's other places around the world where you can get really dynamic, fun cities. I, I don't want to say that, you know, cities in Canada aren't fun. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah, like uh, back in the Justice League International days, they were based out of Paris. So they yeah. had the whole European thing to yeah, draw Yeah, you on. could, yeah. I mean, you could put it in like Vancouver is is probably the best choice. Um, again, Toronto is just a big city without the same feel as a, a New York. But, I mean, you're not going to put a superhero team out in the Maritimes, you know, with the hard-drinking fishermen. You know, that's that's just <laughs> not going to fly. So, I, I honestly, I, I, as much as I'm, again, proud that, yeah, okay, fine, you're putting something in Canada, but it's not really the best setting. You're not going to put them in the freaking prairies. <laughs> <You know? laughs> What's the point? 
<laughs> Bill stole a stock of corn. <laughs> Send over the heroes. <laughs> a moose broke down the fence near the post office. Somebody's got to get that built again is what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, well, on to the actual discussion for this week. I, I Honestly, I had completely forgotten about that, and it occurred to me just as the, the music was running. I was like, oh, yeah, the Canadian Justice League. I, I will read it just to see what they do with it, but, man, I don't know. All right. Well, actually, this week we're talking about a comic that we talked about quite a bit before it came out, and I don't think we've even actually mentioned it, even in what we're reading or anything no. since then. No. And that's not because it hasn't been good. It's just it hasn't come up. And that is, of course, the uh, latest relaunch of Adjectiveless X-Men, uh, written by Brian Wood, art by Oliver Coipel, Mark Morales, and Laura Martin. And, of course, this is the much-publicized uh, all-female team. And we've seen this ar- around uh, various publishers and stuff in recent years, trying to you know, bring out their female characters. Of course, DC's had the birds of prey for a long time, but Marvel's really been trying this uh, lately with, we saw fearless defenders uh, come out with the first wave of Marvel now. And I don't want to say it was kind of forced, but it was also pretty obvious that you're dealing with a team of, you know, Valkyries. Of course, all the team members are going to be female, but as I was reading this, and of course, as we know, the team, uh, at least thus far consists of Jubilee, Storm, Psylocke, uh, Rachel Gray, Kitty, and Rogue. And as I was reading this, it occurred to me, this isn't just like, you know, oh, let's put all the female team members together. When you look at the story and kind of step back and realize, these are actually the characters that are kind of in charge of the X-Men right now. Well, at least <laughs> the school, of, yeah. Of course you, yeah. Of course, you have Wolverine as the headmaster, but he's always off, you know, stabbing ninjas and doing what he does. You know, Beast is always locked up in his lab. You know, Bobby never really took like a leadership role. So really, uh, at the school setting, all of the main characters are the females, and it makes a lot of sense for this book to come together. Well, that's the thing. When you're, you're reading it and you're looking for that plot device that is the reason why they'd all be together here, and it, it, even taking into consideration what happens at the beginning, which is, again, what brings them – well, not even brings them together, but you know the, 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 the plot device that starts the ball rolling, and you're thinking, okay, well, how is it that they're all – they forced together just women and it's just that it they didn't force them it just happened they're the that ones it, that happened to be there it's at, happening at the school and boom they're there based on the last couple years of x-men storytelling it makes perfect sense yeah it does it does so i will grant them that yeah so the actual story and oh my goodness this this involves some wikiing <laughs> if you if you haven't been keeping up with a lot of the advancements in the uh, last few years starts off with John Sublime who is I believe a Grant Morrison creation from when he was doing New X-Men and just boiling it down uh, John Sublime is a sentient virus <laughs> who uh, when he infects a person it allows him to possess their, their being. So let's just go with that as the, the Cliff's Notes version of the character. And the main uh, antagonist here is his sister, Archaea, who they apparently had a big virus battle, <laughs> like the beginning of Earth's creation. She got kicked off, and now a billion or so years later, she's come back for revenge. And this is where the story starts out with we see a meteor crashing into a city as you know Sublime is on his way to it. And randomly out of nowhere, we get Jubilee on an airplane with her baby. <laughs> and it was just so out of nowhere. Like, it was very unexpected. It's not what I would have 
even considered as like the starting point for a story of where did Jubilee get a baby from? You know what it was though? I mean, the baby notwithstanding, it was, it was a Firefly episode. It was that rush of, we got to get on a moving train. And it was quite literally just that, that, that Firefly episode of the, this insane amount of action right from the get-go to, to get you interested. The, the funny thing is, is that I read this issue when it first came out and initially was more, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say blah about it. Not at all. It was, it just, I don't know. It didn't strike a chord. Let's just say that. And then I reread it again as part of these four that we're discussing and realized then on that second reread that it works and it works actually very well. And now I'm, I can really see what, what he was trying to do and, 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 and whatnot. And yeah, I really, really actually dug this intro. It, it's a, it's not immediate because there's that little blurb with some information, but then it's like just a couple of pages and boom, like <laughs> getting on a moving freaking train. And it really sets the ball rolling for the rest of this little story arc. Yeah, I think that may be why we haven't really talked about it much up till this point, that each of the issues individually doesn't really do much that stands out. But when you take at least these first three and put them together, it, it really does come together quite well. Oh, very well. Storyline. Yeah, very, very well. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is uh, Sublime is now chasing Jubilee and she's kind of weirded out. She's got this baby, this weird guy's chasing her. So she's just making a beeline for what she considers, you know, the only home she really has in the X-Men because she knows she can be safe there. And like you said, we get this uh, confrontation on the train. All, like, I, I love how they're just like, oh, Jubilee's in trouble. Let's go. Like, yeah. there's, no, there's no sitting around. There's no who's going to come along. It's you, you, you. Let's, let's get out of here. And, but again, that works to, with, along with what happens later on, the confrontations between Rachel and Aurora, which we'll yes. get into later. But it works yes. perfectly for that. Somebody's in trouble. You go. So eventually everybody ends up at the mansion, Sublime included. And he explains that Archaea has evolved somewhat differently in that she can kind of attach herself to people, but she controls machines instead of beings. So we come to discover that she kind of hitched a ride on Jubilee's baby, whose name is Shogo, and got through the, the, the networks of the Jean Grey school and infected uh, Karima Shapandar, the Omega Sentinel, who, again, is a rather obscure character if you haven't been reading every single X-Men comic available for the last few years. Basically, she's part bio, part human, part machine. Uh, the human part of her has been brain dead for several storylines now. So when uh, Archaea resurrects the machine, you know the, the body sort of just comes along with it. And this leads into just action. And I, of course, Oliver Koipel is a great artist. Oh, dude. And all the stuff he does here, people getting thrown through walls and just, it's, it's great, great stuff. It's, when you're looking at the facial expressions as well, it's, it's something that's so important. There's some artists who don't realize that. <laughs> Always have the same expressions for everybody. <laughs> you know who you are. But here, when you're looking at the expressions on everybody, I mean, something as small as the panel of beast screaming that is just a little piece that's part of a much larger two-page spread. I mean, everybody's 
expressions are phenomenal. And then, like, you could tell he really had a lot of fun with the new Aurora, with the uh, the Mohawk, because, my God, some of the shots of her are just gorgeous. Just like I said, Storm should always have a Mohawk. Well, she should. Let's be honest. So this uh, eventually leads to a confrontation between... Uh, I guess we'll just call her Archaea because there really isn't much of an Omega at this point. And Kitty. And as many people know, when Kitty phases through a mechanical object, she basically just like EMPs it, it fries it. So they have the standoff where Kitty's like, you know, I could phase through you and shut you down. But she's very hesitant to do that because she doesn't know what's going to happen to Karima's body if all the cybernetic parts shut down. And Archaea just sort of uses that hesitation to her advantage to make her way off. Again, let's go back to the art for a moment. Not just is he doing such a phenomenal job with expressions and whatnot, but it's the settings, the way he places people, things like that. Like when you're looking at that shot where she's got her by the face, she got Kitty by the face. It's such a powerful panel. And it's just one of many in that little scene. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So Archaea makes her way to Budapest, of all places, which, uh, as we come to discover, is actually where the meteor originally made landfall that had Archaea hitching its ride on it. And the whole plan here is that uh, Sublime actually has like sort of a, a research hospital, if you will, in the area where they're doing a lot of cybernetic graphs and uh, nanomachines and all that sort of stuff. Well, of course, if Archaea gets control of that area – she can just sort of infect and control all of the cyborgs, androids, whatever you want to call them. Let's just go along with it and basically have her own army. And since her main motivation at this point is revenge, that would be pretty much bad for everybody else. But I, I like how it opens up a lot of morality choices from that mm-hmm. point on as well. Before we get uh, too much into the Budapest thing, Meanwhile, uh, Kitty and a handful of students are left back at the mansion, which is still on security lockdown because Archaea hacked all the systems, activated danger room protocols, left bombs behind. Like it's it's not a good scene over there. And I love that. I think Brian Wood just kind of looked at the, all the cast of people available and went, OK, who haven't we seen in a while? Yeah, because <laughs> we got Legion here, not Legion, um, Hellion. Uh, Bling, Mercury, I think I saw Surge at some point, and Teon. I haven't seen Teon since the original generation, and I'm glad that he's still around because I love that character. Yes. (laughs) He he didn't even actually talk, but his one little scene that he was actually involved with, I was like, oh, Teon, I'm so glad you're back. (laughs) Please please give us more of him. (laughs) The stuff with the kids was great, though, because it was like, like, telling kitty like go do what you got to do and it's like you sure you guys are going to be all right it's like this is what you train us for every single day we'll be fine Mm -hmm. and i really hope we see more of that as this uh, comic goes on oh yeah definitely i would love that too because as much as you know we're we're all for the the main team here this has been happening for years now that they've established all these great you know younger generation characters but they don't really have a place to exist. Like even Wolverine and the X-Men, which focuses so much on the school, the students are really secondary. I mean, yeah, you have Quentin and uh, Edie, but like aside from that, the rest of the school is just kind of background noise. Yeah, they, they could do a lot more. I mean, the days of the New Mutants are done kind of thing. So yeah, we, that's we've where seen it used that, to be. But that book focusing on the younger mutants just doesn't sell. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. They need to be focused in specific issues and doesn't even have to be the whole issue just 
sporadically a lot more. And it actually holds a lot of weight and it reminds you what the X-Men has always been. And it's bringing in these kids to train them. Mm -hmm. So going back to Budapest, (laughs) I love that they left uh, Jubilee in the car. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, she's being helpful, you know, looking up research and, you know, they come to find out that uh, Shogo himself was probably a patient at this hospital. And that's why, you know, Arkea latched onto him and Jubilee found him. Like, I think there's kind of some more story to the actual finding of the baby that we haven't gotten yet that I hope is explored. Yeah. But the part where she's like looking to see like if, you know, Shogo actually has parents around and, you know, see, see you're getting emotional that she's become attached to this child. And, you know, the thought that he might have an actual family out there and he'd have to give her up. That was pretty touching. Yeah, it was. And, you know, Jubilee has always and always been that fun loving character. We really don't get those emotional moments from her, especially. Mm-hmm. So as you said, it leads to some, uh, pretty important moral choices where they cannot let Archaea get control of this hospital. And well, how are they going to stop her really sort of, you know, a, a full lethal solution. And again, we have a standoff where Psylocke has basically, you know, her psychic blade ready to go, but doesn't want to, you know, go in for the kill without at least, you know, a conference, <laughs> just not a, a just going straight for it. And Storm is basically giving the order to just do it. You know, it, we got to do what we got to do. And there's a lot of uh, conversation about this, which was is, is not something we see. It's usually one or the other. There's not a lot of that middle ground. It's something like we saw in Uncanny X-Force and it worked so well there. And again, it worked well here. Yeah, yeah, it is. And what I like, too, it was because of the, the cast that's involved in that choice as well. So it's not the same old people that we're used to seeing in these situations. Well, of course, Aurora a little bit more than Rachel. But the, the it's that confrontation between Rachel and Aurora because both of them are insanely headstrong. And, and in a way, both are right kind of thing. So it's it's up to the reader then to look at their own morality of what they would do in such a situation. Again, very, very well handled. Mm-hmm. So actually at this point, some part of Karima's consciousness ends up waking up and basically telling them to go ahead and do it. Like it's, it's what needs to be done. Now I, it, it, it happened off panel too. So I'm not entirely certain how it worked, but I guess Psylocke used her psychic ninja abilities to somehow exercise Archaea from Karima's body because she's not dead, but Archaea is gone. It happened off panel. It was kind of weird to me. I hated that. That was the biggest freaking cop out. And that's what I hated about this. Like the Mm -hmm. rest of it was so phenomenal. And then you get to the end and it's like Aurora and, and Rachel and, and getting in the car. And I can't remember who was, uh, asking or whatever. And it's like, oh, you don't want to know. And it's like, no, no, we 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 kind of do want to know. We really do want to know how you did this because here's this force that is so powerful that her brother was saying, I can't kill her, but you did it like that, but off panel. So we couldn't see what you actually did. It's a cheat. And I hate it when writers do this. Yeah. It was the one real black mark on the storyline. Yeah, and, it, and it's a big one. It is a very big yes. one. Uh, so this brings us to issue four uh, with a new art team. This time we have David Lopez, Cam Smith, Norman Lee, and Chris Peter. And yes, David Lopez is no Oliver Coipel, but I still loved this issue. 
Yeah, I'm not as crazy about his art style myself. I, I, which isn't to say it's bad. Not by yes. any stretch of the imagination. It's good. It's just not a style that I'm particularly that fond of overall. Mm-hmm. But but no, it was still obviously quite good. And this is that you know quintessential taking a breather episode where on one hand we had just a great story with Wolverine and Jubilee because uh, for years, of course, Wolverine has basically been Jubilee's father figure and – I think this might be the first time Wolverine's ever been a granddad. Yeah, that's the thing too. When you're looking at that, you got to look at him a little bit differently and that's where you get the realization he's, again, he's seen that kid as his grandchild and it's not just someone tagging along with Jubilee. Mm-hmm. And I will, of course, go on record as being one of those people like, I never really liked Jubilee. <laughs> but, and then all the stuff, the vampires and stuff recently didn't really enamor me to her, but... So far in this comic, I'm starting to kind of come over to the other side. For me, it was never that I didn't like her so much. It just was fairly ambivalent. It was just – Yeah, she eh, could have done without – she didn't really lend anything of importance to a lot of stories. Yeah, yeah. So I I never really had a chance to get attached to her. So it it wasn't like Gambit-level hate. (laughs) but That's a high bar. Maybe I'd put her at a bishop level. Let's put it that way. The stuff that was important in this this issue, though, I mean, you're getting the juxtaposition of this relaxing kind of Sunday afternoon hanging out at the mall for Logan and her, but then it's the frantic craziness that's going on with the rest of the team and the fight for who's going to be in control. Not Well, the, the argument, not just in terms of who made you leader, but also the um, the decisions that were made kind of thing. That was what was important. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Storm being, you know, the elder statesman of this team, if you will. Well, she's also led them in the past. Yes, and, so. and having been field leader many times, she just naturally takes control. And as the other girls, especially Rachel, aren't quite that comfortable with this because they're not on board with the decisions she's making. And it's not so much they don't want Storm to be in charge, but Rachel, again, Rachel especially doesn't know if they Storm really should be in charge given some of the decisions she's been making because, of course, Storm's been through a lot lately. You know what? I wouldn't even say that it's Rachel, especially so much as just Rachel. You really don't see any instance of the others having a problem with what went down. It's all Rachel who is throwing a little hissy fit about it. Yeah, but they also don't really defend Storm either. So, Well, there is some of that. Yeah, I will give you that, yeah. And even to the point where Rachel starts talking telepathically and Storm is like, listen, if, you're, if we're going to have this discussion, at least have it where the others can yeah. you know, <laughs> eavesdrop on us. <laughs> but it's all against the scene of you know, this airplane that's having engine failure and you know, the X-Men are on scene. And I don't know if this was just a really bad plan for rescuing the airplane or if it's the best they could come up with in the amount of time they had because – I'm not really sure exactly what they were trying to do here. <laughs> well, they were just kind of trying to carry as much of the load as they can, but it's the how they're doing it with these telekinetic grappling hooks that it's like, <laughs> wow, you're really stretching comic book logic here yeah, quite I, I, a bit. I'm willing to give you a lot, but I'm pretty sure Psylocke can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it kind of, yeah, <laughs> it, it didn't always seem to make sense is what it boils down to, but... For the purposes of the story, we'll go along with it. Well, the thing is, is I I was kind of telling myself, 
it doesn't matter. This could be any type of mm-hmm. action, important action that this has to be done right now. None of that matters. It's all this conversation that's going on between Aurora and Rachel. That's the only thing that really mattered. Well, the other thing I liked is while Kitty, Psylocke, and Rogue were playing the heroes, there was some nice banter between them. And you saw like the friendship that these characters yeah. really do have. And it's not just going to be you know superheroes, super serious all the time or arguing. You can see that there, there is a connection between these characters that we're hopefully going to see throughout the series as well that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I agree. And also it's – Lately, at least, it's always been interesting when Rogue gets a hold of somebody else's power set. And you can see, you know, Psylocke yeah. has always been this you know, very reserved character who, you know, uses her powers sparingly and, you know, with great control and precision. Rogue doesn't care. <laughs> She's just going nuts. And I, I did kind of enjoy that. See, I didn't know if you would because I know you don't like her. So I was reading this and going, he's either enjoying this or rolling his eyes. Could go I either way. I didn't like Rogue for a long time. But uh, the stuff we read with Mike Carey and her on X-Men Legacy – this iteration of Rogue, I'm kind of enjoying. All right, cool. Someone who's you know learned to actually enjoy life. That's that's not a bad character. Not moping quite as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, this issue, I really enjoyed this issue as kind of taking a step back and just sort of setting up what we can expect from this comic. Big action, fun character bits, you know, conflicts, basically everything we've come to expect for years from an X Men comic. And that really makes me happy for going forward. Yeah. And no vampires. Of course, the next couple issues are going to be uh, Battle of the Atom tie-ins. So it's probably going to be a couple months before we actually see this team back together again. I got nothing. Don't wait for me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to jump right into uh, what we're reading. And I'm actually going to somewhat... uh, not on purpose, keep with the X-Men theme, uh, the latest issue of X-Men Legacy. I think it was 15. Dude, I started reading it and then I stopped. I was <laughs> I had to do something, so I got up and I stopped reading. I mean, it was kind of a, like a standalone. Like it, it tied into a lot of the recent events, but you really didn't need to read that stuff to appreciate this issue. And I am absolutely loving Legion. Like the stuff they're doing with that character. Of course, bad things happen to him in this issue, but it's the way he reacts to what's happening to him and sort of reaffirming like his mission statement and what he wants to do. I really enjoyed this issue. Cool. And then just secondly, uh, Burn the Orphanage. The hell is that? I think it was Image. I mean, it was something I not even on my radar until, you know, of course it was recommended to me. And this comic is just a wonderful homage to old school video games. Like there are so many references and stuff thrown in there. And basically this is the comic book version of, you know, Final Fight or Streets of Rage, basically. A lot of Streets of Rage, actually. And the old side-scrolling beat-em-up games from, you know, the Super Nintendo and Genesis era. You have all of the character tropes, all of the weird stuff. And just as somebody who played those games to death growing up, this was a fun read. Hmm. Cool. And that's all I've got this week. Okay. In keeping with last week's discussion where I was mentioning the Justice League Beyond stuff and you were saying it was kind of complicated and whatnot, I actually finished reading all of the the original Justice League Beyond um, issues, which now, especially that I finished it as well, highly, 
highly recommend. Very, very cool stuff. Um, a few of the issues were phenomenal, especially the ones that they were talking about. The they're, they're called the Beyond Origins for each of those characters, mm. and so you find out more about each. And what I like is that they're they're kind of splattered throughout. So you'll have this story arc and then an origin story. So by then you've already seen the character. You've gotten used to the character. You kind of like them. And now you're more invested when you're reading these origin stories. So I really like that. Like the one for Cairo, who's the Green Lantern, was so freaking cool. And it's like he's he's in, born in Tibet and he's thought that he might actually be the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama. But just before the test to see the green lantern ring finds him <laughs> and takes him off. And so that's why when you see the justice league beyond and you see him, he's just this meditating little Buddhist monk kind of thing the, the the character is phenomenal. And when you see him later on in one of the story arcs later on towards the end of that series, he's great. And he's, you know, it's, it, it was very, very good. And then the other one is the new flash. And uh, and so basically, it's uh, Danica Williams, and again, great story, and explains you know how her and her family moved around a lot, and it even shows them when they lived in Gotham for a little while, but they didn't stay there because it was nuts. And you get this shot of Batman Beyond crashing through a window in the subway to fight the Jokers and stuff, and then they they eventually wound up in Central City of all places, of course. And she's tapped into the Speed Force, so she actually talks to the prior members uh the the prior Flashes. And so, like, her, her mother growing up, thought that you know there might be something wrong with the child because she's talking to nobody <laughs> and when she asked the child she's like i'm talking to the red men and so i was like okay and so when she finally finds out when she actually tells her mother that she's the flash the mother's like oh thank god we thought there might really be something wrong with you <laughs> and uh and so you, she's a, just a phenomenal character so well written just fantastic and she talks you know, with those flashes in her, her mind as she's doing stuff. Like there's a, one of the story arcs where she actually saves the, the justice league and that's how she gets invited in. And, uh, and it's great because she's talking with the, uh, the flashes and different things throughout. And then, and then she's talking to Superman at the end, who's inviting her in. But, like the other flashes are talking to her, say, tell him this, tell him this. And, and, you know, You'll join, but on certain conditions, which, of course, one of the conditions being a race. Um, it was very good. I, I highly recommend it. Um, so then I went back and reread 2.0 issue number one, which you had said you had a hard time with. And then I read the second one, which just came out as well. And they're actually leading up to pretty good stuff as well. I'm enjoying it. So, like, the the... All the other characters notwithstanding, the this story arc is about Superman and how there's different things happening with the sun or solar flares or whatever it is that are throwing his powers completely out of whack. So he is actually causing damage because he can't control it. So he's having these bursts uh, of different things with his powers. Uh, at one point, he even like... Shoot, sends a, a burst out from his his eyes that hits Aqua Girl and you know could have killed her easily, but but doesn't. And so he actually decides that to protect everybody else, he gets Micron, who's basically an Ant Man kind of dude, to shrink himself down 
enter him through his eye, which was kind of <laughs> with a whole bunch of uh, krypton kryptonite particles to put into his bloodstream. And um, so that he basically loses his powers. So he's just a regular Joe. And in the future at this point, his, his you know, Clark Kent, who is actually Cal Kent, I, I believe is what he calls himself, is a firefighter. And so now he's doing this incredibly risky <laughs> job, but now without the powers. And so it's, again, a character moment, building moment for him, showing that, you know, He's not going to let something like this get him down. And there's a wonderful scene, too, about that because there's a, a flashback where it shows him and, and Lois. And obviously, they're coming out of some sort of medical clinic, and, and it's she's either got cancer or something. Uh, and he's yeah, like, Lois well, got to be pretty old at this point. She's not. She's, she, she passed away at that point. Um, okay. I believe for a number of years. And, uh, and so, but she's like typical Lois. It's like, you know what? This is probably not going to get better. And you have to promise me that when things get bad for different things or whatever, you're not going to do what it is that you always want to do and go and hide in your castle or go and hide in the fortress, not castle, I should say. You are going to stay out because the world needs you. And it's a great moment with her. And sure enough, because that's what he'd been doing. He recused, recused himself from the Justice League and he was hiding in his fortress so that he wouldn't hurt anybody. And then he has this flashback and it's like, no. And that's when he does the kryptonite thing. It was brilliant. It was really, absolutely loved it. I haven't read issue two yet, but uh, definitely the first issue of Justice League 2.0 was a lot easier to jump into than Batman Beyond 2.0 was. Right. Okay. Uh, Without being caught up. Yeah. But so much happened in Batman Beyond. Like it's when you compare. (laughs) Clearly, like I said, I know I missed a lot. When you look at the stuff that happened in Justice League Beyond, which there was a number of things, very cool story arcs. But compare that to, you know, Terry going up against Dana's brother and then Bruce nearly dying. And then Dana finding out, figuring out who that he is. Um, Batman and all this stuff. There was so much stuff. So yeah, it's that version. I, I don't know. That's not obviously that's not a one version one, but whichever, whatever they want to number it, um, <laughs> it's a must read, it, definitely. And it is good throughout. So yeah, um, one more because I've been talking a while here. Actually, you know what? Very briefly, Fantastic Four newest one. Did you read it? Um, the one where I, they are going to the future planet. Val takes him there. It was no, issue number actually, 11. I, ha- I haven't read that. Oh, man. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. It's fantastic. Um, basically, it's he's Reed is apologizing to Val right off the get-go and stuff. And it's like, listen, I need your help, too, with this to fix himself. And she's like, okay, well, because he's saying, you can pick where we're going next. <laughs> and she's like, wherever I want, no arguments. And he's like, uh, and she's going, fine, forget it. And he's going, okay, fine, yes. <laughs> so they go to this future planet where, like, people idolize her. <laughs> but they're very advanced with their all their technologies and stuff. But then there's all kinds of stuff going on with the um, a group of people that are obsessed with the past and and i don't want to spoil too much for you but there's phenomenal scenes here especially again as the kids are getting older franklin and val and as reed and susan are are growing as parents and also accepting of just how powerful their kids are 
and and kind of training them as well. You see a scene with Sue and Franklin where she's like, no, 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 calm down. Listen, we worked on this. I'm going to count to three, count down, and you know what to do when we get to the end. And there's this great panel with her. It's like, you know what? Don't mess. Lesson two is you don't mess with my kids. <laughs> Franklin just <laughs> obliterates everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a great issue. Um, but no, the uh, newest uh, Superior Spider-Man, number 16. Oh, of course. So now... Everybody knows who the Hobgoblin is. And again, wow, Ramus, man. God, I want to have his babies. <laughs> Jesus, he's so amazing. The art is great. And then, of course, I mean, the, 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 the writing is just... Ugh. It's... Man, Slot is just a freaking genius. I love him. It's just... The, the the pacing throughout everything that's going on between him and Robbie when he's confronting him, the stuff with um, with how Otto is dealing with the public now as well and the cops. I love that you also get this like you know he's trying to appear to be the better man and all this and thank you all for for helping and all that. But then when Hump Cullen escapes, it's like, I practically gift-wrapped him for the cops, and this is what <laughs> It's like, yeah, that's Otto. That little bit there, that was Otto coming out. <laughs> but yeah, this was great. As great as that was, though, I cannot wait until next issue. What's the next issue? It's when we're finally getting that, from what we've been hearing about for months, the crossover with 2099. Mm. I, I just want to see how, why, and what. How they pull it off. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it. I also read Cable and X-Force 13. Did you read that? Still enjoying it. Some so-so development with Hope, although she's kind of getting on my nerves a little towards the end. It, it's, it's slowing down, yeah. which for this comic is actually a bad thing. This comic needs to be at full speed at all times. All times, yeah. <laughs> all right. We got more of Forge and Nemesis, so it was all right. Yeah, but not nearly enough. But yeah, yeah. that stuff was freaking just fantastic <laughs> <laughs> all right well anyway as for this week's new releases marvel brings us astonishing x-men number 66 captain america number 10 captain marvel number 15 an infinity tie-in ff number 11 which is actually matt fraction's last issue on that uh, comic and i believe fantastic four number 12 will be his last one there uh, New Avengers number nine, again, an infinity tie-in. Scarlet Spider number 21. The finale of Thanos Rising with number five. Thor God of Thunder number 12. Ultimate Spider-Man number 26. Uncanny Avengers number 11. Uncanny X-Men number 11. Wolverine and the X-Men number 35. And Young Avengers number nine. From DC, we have Batman Superman number three, Flash number 23, Justice League number 23, which is the finale of the Trinity War crossover, and Talon number 11. From our smaller publishers, from IDW, we have G.I. Joe number seven, Godzilla Rulers of Earth number three, and thank you, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 25, (laughs) as well as Transformers More Than Meets the Eye number 20. And Image brings us Lazarus number three, Mind the Gap number 13, and they've completely sold out and returned to original numbering for Skull Kickers number 24, which is a (laughs) Tavern Tales issue that has been uh, subtitled before Skull Kickers. (laughs) So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, thanks for listening. 